You can talk I, about his cool hair. That's one of the topics. <laughs> Ten minutes on just his a hair. A great head of hair for a man that old. You got to admit. <laughs> So I've been thinking a lot about wokeism, um, a new religion. Yeah, well, I guess there's there's part of me whenever people talk about woke, that kind of cringes. It's a mm-hmm. little bit of like now it's being kind of co opted in like the mainstream conversation. And sometimes you almost get like this like boomer talk. Yeah. About like what is woke? That's a good question. Actually, that's a good point because I feel like woke is now the new liberal. You know, like like right. twenty years ago yeah. when we used to say, mm-hmm. "Oh, that's liberal." And, and now it's like, "Well, like, oh, that's so woke." And now it's and woke. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's like further left. Right. Right. But also, it, you can mean, like I know, like twenty years ago when you talk about liberal liberalism, um, like that's classic liberalism. It was progressivism. Um, right. It, it. I mean, I, I think there was a lot of people among the liberals that would disagree with how you define that term. Mm-hmm. I wonder if woke is getting there, like. Yeah, it seems like yeah. it's there. Like, can can you consider someone or something uh, woke that is maybe more like they wouldn't maybe they wouldn't agree with um, transgenderism, right? Or no? Because I don't know. I'm, I, I I interrupted your train of thought, but I guess my <laughs> <laughs> no. But my point is like, um, like it, it, I feel like um, what's characteristic of wokeism is this like all embracing um, uh, of all the tenets of like what the furthest radical believes. And right. if you don't right. agree with that, then you're considered a right winger, like automatically. Mm. Right. It's almost like an all or nothing mm-hmm. from, from what, mm-hmm. the way I, I see it and understand it. Mm-hmm. Because you have like figures like, you know, J.K. Rowling, um, who right. would consider herself a classic liberal. And she's been rejected by you know right. the left, you know, right. which you can consider woke or Bill Maher. Yeah, I was thinking Bill Maher. Um, and so like maybe they agree with like seventy five percent of the stuff that wokeism believes in. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, well, it's, it's a good point. Though. Well, um, there was a I forget her name, but I think there was like uh, like maybe a conservative Christian author who was on a podcast or an interview, and she was asked to define woke. Yes. And she struggled to do so. Mm-hmm. And I think that's partly because I'm going to compare this to Gnosticism. Um, <clears throat> it's a, it's tricky to define. I think it's an umbrella, like genus term that has maybe many different elements underneath of it. Mm-hmm. A bit like Gnosticism, because people will just kind of throw that out there. It's like, well, Gnosticism means uh, basically a salvation through knowledge. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that there's like a dualism between the body and soul. Interesting, yeah. Right, Although that right. is a, a part of it. So it's, I think the same thing with woke. It's it's kind of, I don't half blame her for not knowing how to define it because it covers so many different things. Right. I think there's general underlying tendencies mm-hmm. uh, to, to wokeism, but right. it is a little tricky to nail down yeah. exactly what it is. I think it's because it's yeah. so expansive and it covers so many things. Yeah. Narcissism well, also yeah. gets that rep where it's like, if you're not... If you're if you don't like that term, then you're gonna classify a lot of things as gnostic when they might not be. Right. You know, yeah. So like, oh, that's gnostic. It's like whatever. Uh, same thing with woke. It's like if it's not of your party, even on the right, right. they do that. It's like, oh, that's just woke. It's like, all right, what, you gotta what be, are we talking yeah. about? You gotta be yeah. careful too when just labeling something as like, oh, that's that, and I'm not that, and therefore yep. it's not because like 
It's like, oh, you know, feeding the poor, that's woke or something. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, obviously, that's a little yeah. extreme, but yeah. Uh, it, it, well, especially well, you do t- see that, though. Like, you know, Pope Francis will say something about, like, we have to care for the poor, and people are like, oh, my gosh, yeah, he's such a liberal. Yeah. yeah, woke Pope. Don't you, yeah. don't you want to care for the poor? Right. Yeah. And it's very easy to just, like, classify something, at, like, under a label, and then you package that label up as something yeah. negative, right? Yeah. And so it, it, it's almost an excuse to... Not think, because mm-hmm. you're like this falls under this and that is bad. Yeah. And so instead of actually understanding like the argument that someone's presenting, if you just label it, then you don't have to right really understand it. On the other hand, there are people who will take that thought and then therefore claim if you say anything is woke, it means you're not thinking. Or same thing like if you mm-hmm. say something is gnostic, it means that you're just using a category right. term. To dismiss the whole thing entirely, which, which is not always the case. Yeah. Because you could call something woke and you actually know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know what you mean and you're defining the terms and like, well, here's right. my definition yeah. and here's how it falls into these categories. Right. And then you have an honest critique of it as opposed to a dismissal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially when you attach an ism to these things too, then right. it becomes like a, like a way of life or a philosophy mm-hmm. that expands outwards of the individual things that people believe. And it's more of an overarching, again, philosophy that informs, that's undergirding all these individual things. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you say like like Gnosticism, um, I think that that would, yeah, it's, you know, strictly speaking, Gnostic is knowledge, um, salvation through knowledge. Uh, but then when you get into the ism part, I think you're buying into a, like a way of life mm-hmm. um, that is, that embraces more than just that strict um, definition. Um, in my mind, wokeism might be defined as a um, rejection of tradition, almost, uh, or a rejection of uh, like the fundamental building blocks of Western civilization. Mm. <laughs> it's almost mm-hmm. like, um, like if that's old, that's like you know the patriarchy. It's like we need to move beyond that, and we're re- like we're questioning everything that came before. Um, and that's why I think transgenderism is probably like the most emblematic um, belief mm-hmm. that wokeism holds, in the sense that it's defining like the very like structure of reality, um, and then you can expand it. That's almost like a microcosm of the um, macrocosm of wokeism. Um, it's like if they can like redefine that, then they're just redefining everything, and every and you know everything is a break from what came before. Um, the dictionary says wokeism is a promotion of liberal progressive ideology and policy as an expression of sensitivity to systemic injustices and prejudices. So it's like Marxism. <laughs> it's like, why are we using two different words? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because it does seem like the foundational teaching or foundational understanding of wokeism is is something like uh, like care for the victim Yeah. or that the victim can be a source of power and change. Because mm. it seems like the project of wokeism is to pull back the veil yeah. on all these things. Okay. Like that's a no big... pun on the term. It's like no. awakeness. No, you know, oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. think we can take the the analogy to Gnosticism even a step further mm. and to say that um, it's Gnostic in the sense of being, to be awakened. Mm-hmm. Right. That was, you know, mm-hmm. part of Gnosticism is that there are hierarchies and classes of individuals. There's the enlightened mm. There's, you know, those who right. are kind of aware. Right. And then those who are 
Unaware. Hopeless, yeah. Hopelessly mm-hmm. unconscious. Yeah. Right. They're asleep. But now right. that we've pulled back the veil, you're, you're now awake mm-hmm. to the true meaning of things. But right. wasn't Gnosticism, it's very esoteric. Like only a few people were called to that kind of knowledge, right? Right. Well, I, I think there was sort of like the, the like elect, the inner like okay. upper echelon of individuals who like truly pierced the secrets. Mm. And then there's okay. those who I think were maybe somewhere in the middle, like they were like part of the group. Okay. And they had some knowledge. And then there was those outside who okay. would never know. But right. with wokeism, would it, like people who are woke, quote unquote woke, they would say that it's, it's for everybody. Like everybody should believe what we're believing, right? I, well, yeah. And I think Gnostics would say the same thing. But at the end of the day, you have to admit that there are some that will just never. Right. Yeah. Be, never okay. uh, accept yeah, yeah. the mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> or right. they'll never right. be able to pierce the, right. the, the, the mysteries because of a willed ignorance, a, a longing to be unaware yeah. of the reality of things. I mean, some people in the woke movement even mention that. Like, the people mm-hmm. are refusing to acknowledge their privilege or, or yeah. such right. because they want to remain unconscious. They don't want to look yep. the foundations of America in the face. Right? Yeah, yeah. So is there is there, like, a tie? Like, correct me if I'm wrong. But so Gnosticism, from what I know, there's a sense in that um, the way it differs from, like, regular Christianity is that if you don't know these things, you don't ascend, right? So there's like a secret knowledge that you have to have. And if you, if you're like uneducated or you live a simple life, you can't have that. Is it like, it's, it's for the people who know it. And so like, but the way Christianity sees it is like, yeah, you can study these things. You can study deep theology and philosophy, but there's also a path to holiness for the simple man. Correct. And it's not the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think the parallel to wokeism is that like, if you don't know these things, if you don't know the systems of oppression, you're out of the club. Yeah. Like you can't live a simple life and have your different opinion um, on how policies should be run or how the world works and be right. The right way is to have this secret knowledge about systems of oppression and oppressor, oppressed, oppressed dynamics. Yeah. Um, and then you truly know that you're in the in club. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think there's some truth there because sometimes the rebuttal against wokeism is, well, can I just like treat everyone equal? Right. Like, can I just be colorblind or mm-hmm. um, like just treat everybody as yep. made in the image and likeness of God mm-hmm. and having you know any any yeah. dignity? Yeah. It's like no, no, no. You have to read these books. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, no. You, like, there's a you reading. Have to know. There's yeah. a reading program. Mm-hmm. So, no, no. You can't just treat people equally. You have to to know that yep. underneath all of it yeah. is a lie. Right. And I'm trying to awaken you. Mm-hmm. Well, w- when wokeism really started to like gain traction in our culture, I think was 2020 in the wake of George Floyd's death, mm-hmm. um, the BLM movement. Um, all that I think really started to just again, gain traction in our culture. And I remember um, uh, reading, like, uh, the about page of BLM early mm-hmm. on, and it, it said, like, well, you know, we're actually out. They, they said We're trained Marxists. Well, yeah, or yeah, so, yeah. something like, um, and, like, we're out to undermine the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. And it was yep. very explicit. And, yeah. But then they took that down, and now you can't find right. it. Um, but that, like, that, to me, I don't know if, like, I could equate, like, the BLM movement is, like, now just like wokeism in general or, you know, like that was part of it. Um, obviously it, it was part parallels. of it, but yeah. yeah. Um, but I was just, I remember being surprised that like they were so explicit in like what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I don't think they would be that explicit 
Or they would more use more like euphemistic language. Again, like you yeah. know, like you have to know, you have to read these books mm-hmm. um, instead of just saying like, "Yeah, we're out to undermine everything that came before us." Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. I, th- I think that's the like the Marxist cut there, uh, thinking that like again, you can't just live a normal nuclear family um, and think that's okay. You have mm-hmm. to know the secret that that's a an oppressive system. system. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about the systems. Mm. So I well, and I also think a little bit like uh, a little bit like Gnosticism. Uh, you know, Gnostics are kind of dependent on Christian revelation. I actually think that, like, foundationally, like the the woke movement is also mm-hmm. uh, it needs Christianity yep. for its foundational principles because it's still <laughs> well, it still asserts. Yeah. I mean, it's a little Nietzschean, right? Yep. It's like, well, it is wrong that the powerful oppress the weak. Yeah. Right. Why? Yeah. It's, you know, uh, right. the oppressed have a, have a value and a dignity that can't be robbed. Yeah. Why? Mm-hmm. Right. O- on what basis are you making these claims? Yep. And it's eventually something in the metaphysics mm-hmm. yeah. that people possess some sort of dignity right. that can't be violated. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and even if they're um, proposing something that's um, anti-Christian, like, again, going back to transgenderism, uh, the very fact that they're appealing to this... Um, sense of morals right like it's mm-hmm. like like no this is the way it ought to be it's like on on what basis are you like claiming this mm-hmm. um it's so obviously metaphysical right um and yet they you know i don't think they see that unless, unless if i think there are probably some um radical uh leftists who will claim that this is what god wants you know, yeah, right. and, and yeah. like they um almost like usurp Christianity right. yeah. um for their own purposes. Yeah. And so that's where it gets ugly. Yeah. Um I, you mm. can you could make the argument that a, a foundational principle in Christianity is something like uh God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Yes, right. You yeah. know, right. Mary's magnificat, mm-hmm. you know, God right. has cast down the mighty from their thrones. Yeah. Jesus becomes a victim yeah. as a source of power. And that's essentially the woke movement. <laughs> Yeah. Is you know God will cast down the mighty from their thrones, yeah, yeah, and he he will lift up the yeah. lowly, right? That's their, uh, I think, of the many things maybe we can say that is wokeism yeah. is the power of the victim, right? Yeah, which is I think is very clear. Mm-hmm. But again, it's that's Christian, yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. in a sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, obviously, maybe it's perverted. It, you know, mm-hmm. I take the analogy too far, but it's it's. It, I think they're also relying on on people's Christian sensibilities. Oh, absolutely. Uh, like yeah. people who are outside the movement right. to say, no, don't you care? Yeah. Like, don't you care about the poor? Don't you care about the oppressed? Don't you care um, about these children who are feeling this inner turmoil? Yeah. So they're they're appealing to the Christian sensitivity and kindness and charity. Yeah. Otherwise, it would never have worked, I yeah. think. Yeah. But, right. Yeah, definitely. Same thing. I mean, again, same thing with Marxism. Like the rise of the proletariat, it's we're going to cast down the mighty. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's only... It only works in an environment that is Christian. <laughs> yeah. That assumes yeah. that there's something that the proletariat or the victim or the underclass have value. Yeah, yeah, that they have value. Right. But then for, for Marx, wasn't it like cyclical too? Like you have once the proletariat rises up, casts down the mighty, then they become the mighty, and then they oppress other people, and then those lowly have to then rise up. And and so like there's this like yeah, yeah. this circular I'm movement. not sure, but I, that seems to make Sounds sense. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just um, it's never ending in yeah. that sense, um, and also, mm. 
you know, when we talk about victim, uh, we talk about the lowly. It's like, wh- what is it? Those are like loaded terms, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, you know, while the while like the woke movement might claim, oh, uh, we're we're here for the lowly. Uh, at the same time, if they gain enough traction, like I was just talking about, like they become the mighty, and then they're canceling and 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 um, suppressing, suppressing mm-hmm. all these other people. And yeah. so now, now, in what sense are you the lowly, right? And yeah. so, yeah, like again, those those terms are loaded. And well, you have to really to, dig into like what it means to be a victim, what it means to be right lowly. You're gonna have to find different ways to feel oppressed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Maybe not monetarily, but other systems are oppressing me. And that's eventually going to lead to something. I mean, that's why you're seeing the, the, the wave of transgenderism, because it's like, what else is going to impose its reality on me other than reality yeah, itself? Yeah, yeah, All exactly. the way down to the like the primordial binary yeah. of mm-hmm. masculine and feminine. Right. And that's, and like, you know, I don't want to trivialize people's suffering and um, like true victimization. For sure. But, but at the same time, everybody is a victim in some way. Right. By the very fact that we're born into life and we die. Right. <laughs> right? Like we are, are right. oppressed by suffering and evil and like things that we don't choose. And so everybody in some sense can play the victim card. Everybody. Yep. Uh, and, and this is like one of Jordan Peterson's big points is that like, yeah, you've been dealt this bad hand. You know, like, yes, you can, you can play the victim card. But what is, where is that going to get you? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, is it not better to actually say, yes, I've been oppressed, but like I can rise up above this. Like you know, like the 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 intrinsic value and um, uh, beauty of human nature can mm-hmm. rise above even the worst of mm-hmm. sufferings, uh, and I think that that's that's actually like a fundamental uh, difference in wokeism versus any other <laughs> um, ideology, is that um, mm. it, it's not the system that we have to worry about. Well, again, I'm using broad terms, yeah, yeah. but right. you know, instead of looking at the system, look at the individual and how does mm-hmm. the individual actually rise above what has been oppressing him. Right. Um, how does um yeah. <laughs> how does Gnosticism relate to Manichaeanism? Like how they Ma- Manichaean? so define those terms for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's again. So you have Gnosticism. Then you could say that Manichaean Manichaeanism is a species. Yeah. Okay. A subset of a of, subset yeah. of Gnosticism. Yeah. So it's still it a little bit more. That's where you get the emphasis on the body soul dualism. Right. Yeah. Matter versus immaterial. Yep. Um. You also get uh, the different deities, mm-hmm. the good deity versus the bad deity, one who belongs to the world, one who belongs uh-huh. to heavens and such. But uh, I think with Manichaeanism, it's primarily that duality. It's, yeah, it's a dualism. Like, still... there's a, they, like there's a deity that's evil and right. a deity that's good. But right. there still is a hierarchy. I think mm-hmm. Augustine talks a little bit about venturing towards uh, – like he was on his way basically towards the like inner sanctum. Mm-hmm. Of Manichaeanism because mm. he was smart enough mm-hmm. to do that and educated enough to do that, so it still has that underlying. Yeah, you know, you can know that the world is created by two different gods, and you can learn which one is the right god. Yeah, right, right, and battle against it, but only because you're smart enough, essentially. Mm. Right, does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly. Yeah, um, kind of quickly. What I believed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe. I mean, I didn't study. Manich- we didn't have a class on Manich- mm-hmm. Manichaeanism, <laughs> so, um, and it usually comes up. When studying Augustine, because mm-hmm. um, he was a Manichaean. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I believe that that's right. That's the way I understand it. A subset of Gnosticism, um, very dualistic. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, it just reminded me that that dualism, as it relates to kind of body-soul separation, 
again, seeing the parallels there with transgenderism is like my body doesn't define me. Like my mm-hmm. true knowledge of self is outside my body, and I I will right. determine that. And it it does have that kind of manichaeanistic. Oh, absolutely. No, that's a really streak. good point. And that's um, I remember. Yeah, we we talked about this in our um, sexual ethics class uh, when I was in seminary, but how transgenderism is kind of a form of uh, dualism. Mm-hmm. It's like you know the, the the matter of my body, right? Like yeah. my body cannot tell me anything about who I am or reality, right? right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you divorce the material from the spiritual, uh, you yeah. know, in a sense. Right, like, right. You what know, they like, define as yeah, the spiritual. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so it's like this This matter doesn't tell me anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is almost like a flight from matter in a really extreme way. Yeah. You would think that, you would think that those, you know, who are trying to undermine Christianity would be more materialistic. Right. But yep. in transgenderism, mm-hmm. you see the exact opposite. Yeah, it's like this reemergence. Yeah, of spirit. it's so strange. Yeah. yeah, that's what Schellenberg said on Joe Rogan mm-hmm. that the gender was the new soul, mm-hmm. right? For, yeah, yep. exactly. for yep. the secular person, right? Yep. Um, that there's, and then Peterson also talked about this. But it's been a long question, I think, that Christians have had for transgenderism is what exactly is out of place? I am not my body. It's like, well. Then what are you? Then what are you? Yeah. Like what? What? What is this thing that is at odds with your body? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Is it just is it your consciousness? Is it your yeah. mind? Or it, it seems like they're appealing to some soul. That my yeah, yeah. soul is trapped mm-hmm. in the wrong body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that that's when you uh, when you want to control reality to such an extent, deny like what has been given, you have to divorce yourself from the material. Yeah. Right. You have to like yeah. because it's. I mean like. If you were to, if you were to just just say like yes, matter can tell me about reality, then you are subservient to mm-hmm. reality, mm-hmm. and and right. then you you start to accept as you should, <laughs> you start to accept that like this is the the hand that I've been dealt. You know, right. going back to what we were yeah. talking about earlier. Um, yeah, that's the. I mean, that's the weird parallel. Like you could connect something like uh, transgenderism to communism. You know, and that it's like. Your rejection of reality, that's the whole the pitch of capitalism is that like this is how reality functions mm-hmm. in the best sense. Um, of course, there's going to be corruption and we should correct that and respond accordingly. But you can't just force its hand into an economic system that you come up with that is completely contrary to how reality works. Yeah. And so the parallel to transgenderism is like you feel imposed by reality and you're trying to force its hand to to be different. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very it's very weird to be to think about how that is all related because it does seem like this transgender stuff just came out of left field. Yeah, I mean no pun, but like <laughs> yeah. really left yeah. field. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's um it's been it's interesting because it has been a topic for a little while. First things, uh, you know the magazine First Things they released an article back in 2016 talking about the the metaphysical implications yeah. of transgenderism as sort of like the last like. Mm. neo-gnostic kind of like liberal mm-hmm. fashion the last the final frontier is liberation from the body yeah yeah, yeah it wasn't exactly. just yeah. it wasn't just male and female necessarily yep. it does you know they don't necessarily uh they're not complementary yep it wasn't just that it wasn't just marriage but mm-hmm. it was i can transcend my body wow that's very actually yeah, yeah. that's fascinating because on, at the same time like while you have this whole transgenderism um uh, movement you also have 
like on the tech side of things, like things like uh, brain chips mm-hmm. and like uploading your consciousness and, and, you know, being able to fix any ailment of your body. Yep. Um, you know, like Elon Musk was talking about his Neuralink. Yep. Like, you know, we can make blind people see, you know, mm-hmm. um, someone who's been paralyzed. We can yep. actually rewire their nervous system with this. And so it's like it's all about this transcending yep. the body. Andrew Clavin just had a guest on talking about her book, I believe. I don't remember her name. I wish I could. Um, well, we have it. laptops. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to find it. But uh, she was talking about, like, she briefly mentioned, like, he, he didn't talk about this, but she briefly mentioned how that there's a link uh, between uh, kind of, what does she say? Like, the feminist movement, uh, contraception, and abortion being linked to cyborgs. And, like, yeah. there's a connection there. And <laughs> that, like, you know, women say, like, I can be liberated as from my body, yeah. if only I do this, if I take these artificial artificial medications yeah. and I do these uh, medical procedures, then I become truly myself, right. which is un- like like a man, yeah. <laughs> essentially, mm-hmm. you know, like rejecting the the female function. Um, and she's like, that's that's that opens the door to this whole cyborg epidemic that's yeah. going to happen with AI chips and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, and that's like, I mean, you look at like sci-fi literature, like the best of sci-fi literature. Is um is all about like yeah like these cyborgs who like take over the world mm-hmm. and they're like uh like like they're they're like transcendent human beings right like they have humanoid figures and they're obviously more powerful and enlightened but they they are always an enemy to mankind always right because it's not mankind like it's not yeah. human nature that's, that's why they're so. banned in Dune right yes yeah yeah, yeah AI and robots that's they're, right they're banned um, yeah. because of this problem a friend of mine just before we recorded uh, sent me an article from the New York Times. Uh, about the possibility there was an author saying that by the end of the year, he hopes to have some sort of way to upload consciousness to some sort of hard uh, or some sort of a server. That way mm. you can keep your loved ones alive essentially after they die. Right. Yeah. So again, this, uh, uh, this like not only, not only people having relationships with AIs now, chatbots, yep. but now it's, they're hoping that we can keep the dead alive. Yeah. That's crazy. Through machines. Yeah. And this is, um, it's. I mean, this shows like an innate, an innate human desire to overcome death mm-hmm. uh, and to, yeah, and to live forever. And it's, like, it's the promise of Christianity, ultimately. Yeah, um, right. But in, in a in a um, like untethered secular way, mm-hmm. essentially. Well, um, right. That's that's what I saw it as. Is just like a, another impulse or instinct to religion yeah. being channeled through technology. Yeah. And, and, and because like, you know, uh, uh fundamentally Christians do hope to transcend the body. Uh Right. You know, in so far as our bodies are corrupt and they die now, right? Right. Um and and that's 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 what we celebrate at the resurrection of Christ on Easter is that he has defeated death and now his glorified body is it, it's it's a body that's Different in a sense than his old body, but it's the same body, right? And so there is a sense of transcendence and and, and perfection yeah. that he has um, brought, right. and he wishes to give to all mankind. Yeah. Um, that's why you, it's really interesting. Um, we're recording this during the octave of Easter, but we're reading like all the readings. Um, uh, you know, during this week are Christ appearing to his apostles mm-hmm. and disciples, and it's not clear exactly like is he a ghost or is he. You know, like, and there's this question of, like, you know, he goes through locked doors, um, but then at the same time he's able to eat. And so it's it's almost like this, uh, you know, in, in a more modern um, sense, sense, it's like this um, 
like a tran- like a like a transcendent AI <laughs> of Christ mm, almost, yeah. you know, um, like just mm. to, to imagine this. Yeah. Um, but anyway, my my yeah, point yeah. is is that um, Christianity promises transcendence of the body, right? Um, and ultimate yeah. immortality. Well, yeah. it's it's um, also like you have to understand the difference between abolishing the law and fulfilling the law. Like that's essentially mm-hmm. what Christ came to do. It's like I'm not coming to abolish the reality that exists now, but coming to fulfill it. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, like we're going to have to ca- come up with a capitalistic system or a system of economy. Here's capitalism. It kind of works, but we're going to have to constantly refine it, refine yeah. it and, and mm-hmm. make, you know, whatever, make it work for everybody. Um, but we're not coming to abolish the reality of the Pareto distribution. We're coming right. to do our best to fulfill that. You know, yeah. obviously even, you know, if you're going to really tie it in, like you, in order to have the best economy, seeing how charity works with capitalism. Yeah. But again, so undergirding with a, with a religious tone of like, we need Christians to actually care about people. And then, then you add a, an eco- economic system to that. And mm-hmm. then now it all starts to work out. Then you actually fulfill the Pareto distribution as yeah. opposed to abolish it. You know, like right, there's right. a way that uh, we can work with reality that fulfills it instead of like, you know, a Gnostic leaving yeah. it completely. Right, right. Yeah. Mm. And and that's what I see with like uh, the transgenderism movement, um, all this like um, this new wave of technology uh, is wanting wanting what God has established and promises us without actually following God, essentially. It's I I can achieve this same goal my way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. It seems like secular humanism is Christianity for people with commitment issues. <laughs> you know, it's just like they don't. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. That's a good way to put it. You know that there's uh, religion kind of forces you into uh, a code a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. it's a binding. Yeah. There's certain rules. There's a structure. All that. But if you can kind of have that religious s- substratum. Without you know, without having mm-hmm. the rules, it it seems a little bit more freeing. Yeah, that way. you can still rely on those principles that I think people take for granted. They mm-hmm. think it's part of human nature, and that the rest of society um, takes for granted. Yeah, um, but not to worry about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. going to church on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I I think that a lot of it's. Uh, I was just thinking about this yesterday, about how amazing fractals are <laughs> um, no but, lying in your bed like thinking about yeah fractals. i mean that's not wrong um, <laughs> just how kind of important it is to understand the world as a fractal structure and so seeing mm-hmm. that actually kind of ties into gnosticism in that like you don't have to have the all the knowledge of the whole world forever amen <laughs> um yeah there's like there's small parts of reality that speak to bigger parts and it helps you understand how the world works. Yeah. And so seeing like how, how is my relationship with my family related to how economy should be run? Mm-hmm. Um, there is a fractal structure. And so if you just build out from those really simple spots, it, the world starts to make sense as yeah. opposed to having, it feels more overwhelming to have to have all the different bodies of knowledge that are completely different from each other, as opposed to seeing it nested in some sort yeah. of structure, right? Um, yeah, and that's a that's a very bottom up uh, way to um, see reality, mm-hmm. uh, where it's like you know you take your your small private life, you work as hard as you can, and you um, reflect on it, and then see how things you know outside of that um, are related 
Right. But I remember coming to this, like seeing how fractals work in the opposite way, um, mm. where, more of a top-down approach. I remember this um, dawned on me when I was studying, um, when I took my Trinity class and just learning about the Trinity and how like, you know, all the, the persons of the Trinity are ultimately relational. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's a unity, uh, although there's um, at the same time a multiplicity. Uh, and I was just seeing how like that connects to human nature and mm-hmm. how we're relational and how we are also, you know, though we're many, we are called to be one. Uh, right. You know, and, and yeah, it's, I mean, that's just mm-hmm. a, a little um, summary of, of, yeah. of what I was seeing in that class. But um, when you, yeah, it's interesting how you can, you can approach it from bottom up or top down. Um, yeah. And in that class, I saw it from that top down perspective. Yeah, that's interesting. So, mm. Yeah. Study the Trinity. You'll get to know human nature more. <laughs> well, then you get um, perhaps Bonaventurian, and by your very start, you have your, your end already. So that when you say, look at the finite world, there must be an infinite. But by the, by the very fact you say there is a finite world. You're implying. You're implying infinite. an infinite. Yeah, mm. right, right, right. So yeah. you can start either wow. way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. You're a... Uh, you're much more of a Bonaventurian than I am. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Know, I don't know if I'm more than you. <laughs> well, well, oh, you know him pretty well. Uh, probably you know him better than I do. Um, would it be safe to say that Bonaventure was? He was an Augustinian. I mean, I mean, he was a Franciscan. Yes. Yeah. But like he was following in. Yeah, an much Augustinian more Augustinian, philosophy. and and also trying to uh, combine the best of Aristotle and the best of Plato right, in his yeah, mind. Yeah. Because he was a little bit skeptical of Aristotle. Yeah, that's um, right. Whereas um, Thomas was more kind of all in yeah. on Aristotle. Oh, yeah. Bonaventure wouldn't be afraid to just say, no, Aristotle was wrong here. Whereas right. like mm-hmm. uh, um, Aquinas would be, he'd be like, he, he's wrong, but uh, because of revelation, we know that he's wrong. Like pure reason would tell us that mm-hmm. like actually Aristotle was right. And Bonaventure's like, no, wrong. Just <laughs> you know, no yeah. caveats required. Um, what else is new? What else is new? I am um I'm preparing for a, a presentation, um, that I'm going to give in a couple of days on Ratzinger, and um, I was approached uh by our sister who's helping put putting this. Uh, she's helping, she's helping out organizing this yep. um conference, and uh she's like yeah just um pick a topic on Ratzinger um and uh you know you can present on mm-hmm. it. And so um, I was thinking about what, what to present on. I was thinking about something of spirit of liturgy, but... You can talk I, about his cool hair. That's one of the topics. <laughs> Ten minutes on just his <laughs> A hair. great head of hair for a man that old. You got <laughs> to admit. Um, but I kept going back to um, Introduction to Christianity. Um, and one of my favorite parts of that book... We all read that together um, in our book study... But one of my favorite parts of, of the book was actually the beginning um, and the way that he frames uh, the problem of secularism. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he titles this book Introduction to Christianity as if he's like presenting Christianity to, you know, to someone who yeah. might, might be a non-believer. Um, and he, he talks about how – he talks about how – in our modern world, it seems like there is such a divide between the believer and non-believer that we might the believer might feel alienated in in any topics that concern f- 
philosophy or or theology. Right. It's like how can we how can we find common ground to actually talk about um, Christianity? Hmm. And very insightfully, he pinpoints death as the as the common denominator. And he's like he says like one thing that we can agree on is that we're all going to die, <laughs> right? Um, and so how does uh, like and, and and it's that fear that kind of um, is a springboard into mm-hmm. his book, really. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I've been um, preparing in my presentation is that like this common denominator, this common ground that the believer and non-believer can um, uh, stand on mm-hmm. uh, is the fact that we're we're all going to die. That's really interesting. Peterson starts kind of his whole premise around talking about religious ideas in the same way of being like, we don't know if ultimate good exists, but ultimate evil definitely exists. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he's like, and we know what that feels like. Yeah. And it's the same thing, the problem of death, but like lived in life, it's just suffering yeah. and pain. So he's like, that's super real. You can't tell anybody that's not real. Yeah. So maybe the opposite's true. Let's investigate that. And he like starts that. Yeah, as exactly. Yeah. I, feel, I find like that, that that's a very persuasive um, way to begin a conversation um, with, mm-hmm. you know, between a believer and non-believer. Uh, and so I think yeah. – and, and in preparing my presentation, I was doing some research about um, just why Christianity has been become so – there's a sense of alienation with the Christian mm-hmm. in our modern world and that like he can't, he can't really talk about these things as openly as other people right. can talk about their beliefs or their um, – whatever they – their philosophies. And – I think this might be a little simplified, but I believe it's after the Enlightenment, um, Kant really tried to divorce um, faith from reason mm-hmm. in mm. an effort to preserve faith. Right. And so as the world was growing more secular, as it was growing more um, technological and scientific, um, the need for religion was becoming very uh, – it was in danger. Really, mm-hmm. uh, it was getting harder to answer that question. Like, why is Christianity still relevant? And part of Kant's effort was to say, well, we 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 like you can still be a Christian; it can still be useful, um, but don't look at it in in terms of reason and science because we already have that, and that's already helping us. Mm. Um, and so, just divorce your faith <clears throat> from your reason. Believe what you want to believe, mm-hmm. and then. Um, and then, you know, you can still be a technological right. and scientific and rational man. What he didn't expect was that that, that sense of uh, – d- uh, that, that divorce between reason and faith would actually lead to a, a total um, – again, a total alienation and total division mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of religion. Right. Um, to where it's like now, you know, your, your stereotypical Christian is um, unintelligent – uh, just believes in the sky, right. sky father, yeah, you yeah. Know? Uh, and, and that's really harmed, um, harmed Christianity. Mm. Um, this is where you get the caricature of like the Bible is just a bunch of made up stories. Yep. Uh, yeah. And you can believe it if it's going to be a crutch in your life to mm-hmm. help you. Right. But that's all it is. Right. And I think Ratzinger, um, he recognizes that problem. Mm-hmm. But then he said, well, there's, there's, there could be a reason, actually, mm. why Christianity is still relevant beyond just having faith in it and divorcing yourself from reason. Right. right. Uh, and it's like the fact that we all die. It's like, what is the, what is uh, the yeah. non-believer to do about suffering mm-hmm. and, and death? Right. Um, yeah. So. Other than, like, prevent suffering ultimately 
like into infinity and prevent death into infinity and like now you're getting to cyborg realm right 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 yeah Yeah. exactly and he he talks about that in his book later on when he talks about christ um how he has um like christ is a like as we mentioned earlier christ is the fulfillment of all Mm -hmm. um biology and and all um science um i'm i'm in the middle of uh ian mcgillchrist's the matter with things and he's kind of um he lays out how the brain is separated into a left and right hemisphere and their different roles as to how they perceive the world. Um, and he associates the left brain with that kind of very scientific, very like, you know, pinpointed um, mathematical side mm-hmm. and the right with a more intuitive um, and like the, the, the side that you would associate with wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, even the religious sense is associated with the right side. And he says that uh, the left side of the brain is a good servant, but a bad master. Mm. And it's kind of like your constant struggle to have the right side of your brain communicate with the left and always put things into context. He, he gives the example of like, you know, a bird sees a seed among the rocks um, and he's using his left brain to like identify it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he just uses his left brain, he won't realize that there's a cat looking at him about to eat mm, him. Right. And so the right side of the brain is always looking at context and contextualizing mm-hmm. things. And that leads to wisdom right. that the bird mm-hmm. knows when it is the right time to right. get the seed. Right. So that's good. Which is the same thing. So it's like yeah. the scientist, scientific part of our brain when you're separating things into religion and science, if you want to completely separate them, um, the left is always going to have a tendency to overcompensate and just completely turn off the right side yeah. and be like, we don't need this anymore because it's all about food and acquiring uh, resources. Yeah. yeah. Um, as opposed to like, well, actually you should look at this contextually and that actually helps your left brain make the right decision. Yeah. yeah and that actually ties into um, another um, uh, video I saw um, earlier this week was, was with um, Bishop Barron, his podcast. Um, he had a segment called why the liberal arts Mm. And it was um, along these this vein. He was defending the use, not the use, the um, implementation of the liberal arts in schools. Yep. And so many schools now are getting rid of liberal arts. Right. Uh, and it's very much focused on STEM mm-hmm. and the utility of, you know, studying right. biology, mathematics, yep. and technology, all that stuff. Um, but he puts it very simply. is like studying STEM is great, noble pursuits. Mm-hmm. But you really become just half a person. You're taking yeah. care of your body. Yeah. What, a, what about Gilchrist your soul? would say literally half a person. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> half yeah. your brain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and you know, he he Bishop Barron gave this good analogy. He's like, you know, um, it's like you know when you're driving with your GPS on, um, that GPS is is excellent to get you where you're going, but then once you get there, what are you going to do? Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that's kind of the way we can understand. STEM yeah. and all those um, right. endeavors in that, in that mm-hmm. field is like, yes, it's good to study technology. Mm-hmm. It's good to, you know, be a scientist. Mm-hmm. But then like once you have accomplished what you've set out to do in those areas, what then? Right. What then? Right. Uh, like once you've get once you've gotten the money from your degree, mm-hmm. what then? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you, did you guys see the Dead Poet Society? That movie with Robin, yeah, Robin Williams. Um, it's good. It's it's worth watching. Um, but he's a English professor, I believe, and um, he's kind of defending uh, the liberal arts as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he has that great line. He's like, you know, being a nurse, medicine, technology, these are all good and noble pursuits in life. He's like, but love and poetry, like that's what life is for. 
Uh, and that's the holistic view um, yeah. uh, of the man. Um, even the term liberal arts, um, that comes from the word freedom. Like, yeah. you know, it's, you're free mm-hmm. to study these mm-hmm. without a specific end. Right. Whereas like the, the servile arts, I mm-hmm. guess you could say, is, is more for utility. You mm-hmm. do this because they're subservient to a certain goal, mm-hmm. right? Um, right. As so a, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> For Ratzinger. Oh. You guys um, talk about all those things? <laughs> yeah, all those things. <laughs> no. Um, no, mainly um, how Ratzinger pinpoints uh, death. Okay, yeah. Uh, as mm-hmm. a common ground for believer and non-believers. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Schellenberg said this, mm-hmm. talked about this on Joe Rogan again. Um, just that people get a lot of psychological comfort from religion and uh, both meaning while they're alive, but also in the event of death. That yeah. there's this... At least on a psychological level, there's a, a comfort knowing that there's a life after mm-hmm. and that they'll still experience their loved ones. Yeah. He said, but in absence of that, it's yeah. just nihilism. Yeah. When, yeah. when he yeah. said yeah. that, exactly. yep. when he said that, it made me think about how that's such a common trope of like, well, like yeah. if you act as if God is real, it seems like it's a you live a better life. It's like, but if you're so scientific, like right, if like that's like you're all about the science. And how things work, work mathematically and uh, very practical. And you're like, if the clock just acts as if yeah. it has this gear in it, it just functions so much better. Oh, yeah. It's like, shouldn't it have that gear in it? Right. <laughs> like, wouldn't yeah. that be like a yeah. testament to the reality That's, uh, that yeah. something should be there yeah. as opposed mm-hmm. to like, well, if it pretends and it works better, it's like doesn't that mathematically equal we should have religion? That's, no, that's um. Yeah. I think Chesterton says that because yeah, uh, the, the the common argument is uh, it's like oh well, your desire for God is just a uh, wish fulfillment or, yeah. or like um a wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. It's like you desire that there's a unicorn, right? Yeah. Um, but first of all, that's a caricature. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're not, mm-hmm. we don't wish just for u- unicorn. We actually wish for immortality, right, yeah. and a transcendence. Um, but Chesterton says uh. Is like as if the desire for water disproves the existence of water. Right. That doesn't make any right. sense. Right. It's like mm-hmm. if you're hungering for food, then that means that there must be food, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, to fulfill yeah. that hunger. Yeah. Right. Right. That's uh, the argument from desire that right. there is no desire that you have in vain. Right. Yeah. Exactly. If you have a desire for something, then it must have some sort of fulfillment. Yeah. Well, that's where you that get desire. the like hermeneutic yeah. of suspicion, where it's like actually, yeah, what it is, is this weird sexual suppression. And that's where you get like Freud, and right, Nietzsche, sure. right. that whole thing yeah. where it's like, actually it's just power or actually it's just sex or actually yeah. it's just whatever. Um, yeah, that's super interesting. How it yeah. all starts to turn in. But I think yeah, we can know intuitively that like, I think I think it was C.S. Lewis who said something along these lines that like, why is it that when we are fulfilled on every material level, that's when we feel an even deeper longing for something else. Right. Um, and, yeah. and you know we we see that you know, among our elites and like you know um, the Hollywood stars, mm-hmm. like they can be fulfilled on every level. They have all the money in the world, all the pleasures in the world, um, and yet you know they're the ones that are taking drugs and uh, you know right. on, on um, highest rates of suicide. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Like, what is that? You know, that's not just right. wishing for a unicorn. Yeah, yeah. Like there's something more innate in human nature um, mm. that's calling out for something more. So, yeah, I, I think some of the oldest rituals that we have uh, dated and have, like, evidence of our burial rituals. Yeah, yeah. It, it almost seems mm. as though, like, death is a little bit more mysterious than life. Yeah. Um, because, you know, after, no one, you know, no one knows, right? Yeah. In, in a sense. It's like when you die, it's like, 
in that moment, what happens? Yeah. You know, are, yeah. are you immediately judged or is there like just white out? Is there a limbo period where you're like, right. you're there, but not yet, you know, yeah. all these different things. No one really knows. So that's, it is like the mystery of mysteries. It seems yeah. like even mm. more so than birth and life. And, yeah. Growth and such like that. Right, right. And it isn't that fascinating that like you look around like all these different cultures and like burial rituals exist in all of them. Um, right. You know, right. like that that yeah. also speaks to a, uh, like the universality of the human condition. That's um yes yeah, what uh Eliade says that that seems to be our oldest records. Yeah. Is burial. Yeah. Uh, or in terms of religion, mm-hmm. like what is a religious practice that we have uh the most evidence of, I guess, as far back as possible and it's burial. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fascinating. Like if this is nothing more than just a pile of matter, like why are we respecting it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, universally. Well, what was uh, I need to watch this um this Jonathan Peugeot um uh, interview. I have it saved, but I saw a, a clip where he was explaining um that he remembers when he was a kid and he saw um he was uh, at this presentation of some postgraduate oh, woman. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Who this. said like uh, she was talking about the flood, mm-hmm. uh, the biblical flood. And uh, she said, like, if you actually look in, like, multiple cultures around the world, they all have mm-hmm. a flood narrative. Mm-hmm. And then she says, and that's why it didn't happen. But <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> just started laughing. Yeah. He's like, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's like, if you see something that's universal, right, right. like, where there was no, unless if they had some secret technology that right. were talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Um like, that's yeah, like that yeah. speaks to something that's mm-hmm. like more universal. Than like all cultures yeah. have drawings of this like ball in the sky that emits light. So obviously it doesn't exist. It's, yeah, right. it's, it's yeah. oh my gosh. The, the, the go, way go, that go. people bend over backwards and do mental gymnastics to get around yeah, the question of God is like. Yeah, it's interesting that comparative religion sometimes goes that route. It's like, well, you mm. know, all these religions yes. have so many yep. similarities. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that means that like none of them really yep. matter. Like it's just like a human trait. Right. Yep. It's like, well. Or yeah. it could be speaking to the exact yeah. opposite. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Mm. Um, now, of course, the, the balance there is um, like when we're talking about Christianity, it's like, like at, at the, at the, I think at the start of um, religious dialogue, to, to notice um, the like the the truth about yeah comparative religions mm-hmm. and saying like yes, there is a longing in the human heart that yearns for something more that's universal, all that desire what we we're talking about. But then when we start to actually distinguish religions, I think it's very dangerous to be like, well, you know, Christianity is one one way among many, right? Mm-hmm. Right, um, yeah. That's and so very Joseph Campbell. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, like, what is the Christian to do when you see all these similarities? Um, is it just one way among many? Or is, you know, as Christ says, I am the way. Mm. Um, but that's another topic for another day, I guess. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. I, if, I think as soon as you see comparative religion, I think for Christians, it's like, Ew. you know, you yeah, really kind of yeah, right. flinch because it's like more likely than not, they're going to say, look at like, look at all these comparisons. They're not real. Yeah. As opposed to mm-hmm. you could do Christian comparative religion mm-hmm. that shows a, a universal longing. Yeah. Um, even fulfillment. Yeah, exactly. Perhaps yeah. in Christianity. Right. Um, which would be, I think, a, a helpful comparative religion, but it's usually not. It's usually more of this undergrad <laughs> right. yeah. or, or uh, grad student that <laughs> yeah. Peugeot was talking about. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Huh. Um, I I wanted I wanted to go back to the Marxist thing for a second because I, I had something written down that was related. Um, I was listening to uh, Matt and Shane's secret podcast. Um, it's a podcast, two comedians. Uh, but Matt McCusker was talking about 
his married life and having to like reboot some of his uh like pre presets as he he would call them like in his mind of like having to deal with his wife and and this just the struggles of living with another person mm-hmm. um and he's like i just i i want to be my own person i don't want to have to just completely like reboot my whole system and be like yeah happy wife happy life like just like yeah. um just like crunch it all down and just be like yeah she wins everything um it made me think about how there is a tendency to feel like that relationship is just a power dynamic and it is kind of marxist um to to feel like it's all just power and yeah. it's oppressed oppressor mm-hmm. um and whoever wins is on top and the other person has to be uh suppressed mm-hmm. um and so like you start to see how even in a marriage the way you see how that relationship functions sheds light on everything else you see mm-hmm. in reality um in that fractal nature like of course it's a power dynamic because that's how i act with my wife like mm-hmm that's going to like shed light on how you see the world. Um, and then it, it just made me think about how there's a way that you can cooperate with your spouse and you have a shared goal. And then you actually are not this kind of power struggle, but you're cooperating together towards something. Yeah. Um, and then even one step below that is yourself that you're not a power struggle between you and your passions mm-hmm. and that like your mm-hmm. desires are not something that you can see through a Marxist lens as oppressing you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then you can, you can align those in this kind of Dante way that ascend the hierarchy of loves yeah. um, to something beyond yourself. Um, but it's not this power struggle against it. Yeah. Um, and it almost has the same kind of Marxist fractal version mm. of um, seeing reality as just a power struggle yeah. so you can see it on the individual individual level with your own passions and realize that there's an, a, a different answer that there's a cooperation with your desires that you yeah. can align mm-hmm. and then then you start to build that out with your your spouse and then your children and then your community and whatever and now you have a complete set of non-power struggle like relationships with yeah. the world yeah. essentially yeah that's interesting i think because uh, you know on, on an individual level you know, and even like uh, on a on a familial level, there, I think there is like any struggle that you might have um, needs to be understood through the lens of love, and right. not through right. a sense of just domination, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so, you know, we I, I agree with everything you said, but I think the the clarification there um, is that anytime you struggle, it's not like you can you can step back and say like well you know i love them and i'm just going to let them flourish in the way that like there does there 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 has to be a sense of power mm-hmm. that you have over either your twisted passions right or your undisciplined kids right right right, right. <laughs> um and it can seem from the outside that like okay this is a power struggle yep. um and maybe you can even label it like that but the truth behind that is that it's it's out of love right it's out of love right right and you're not well, that's the whole thing it's like mm-hmm. Uh, if I have an argument with my wife, it's not it's not going to be me versus you and my idea versus right. yours. Right, and like, I win, you lose. Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. We're both trying to get to the truth that's outside yeah, of exactly. us. And maybe I'm right to, from the start, or maybe I'm not. Yeah. But like that's uh, that's a complete self giving of like 
that's up for debate. Let's have at it. Like, and let's mm-hmm. have the power yeah. clash, but then reach something that's outside of yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. And and with your passions, it's like same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's like you don't want to live a life where they're just totally squashed. Yep. You want them to actually be fulfilled and aiming with you. You know, like in you um, yep. towards a specific goal. Yeah. So, yeah. That's that's the whole idea between of like atonement being that like at one mint mm-hmm. is like you're you're trying to repair these things and bring them together in alignment. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the like dismembered self mm-hmm. as like all your different passions all over the place that you remember them, the whole anamnesis, yeah. Eucharist, yeah. poof, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. Well, yeah. like, that does go back to your point, Father, talking about, you know, Christians ultimately, you know, transcending the body. Well, in the resurrection, you have a perfect unity of body and soul in Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, he yeah. had it prior. Yeah. But um, and more as an image, because right now you do feel uh, a little bit at war with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You do feel disintegrated. Yep. Um, or, or this disunity. But your goal is to, you know, throughout your life, hopefully get towards yep. that goal that you're not so dismembered. Right. Yeah, exactly. And right. you exercise almost like a proper authority mm-hmm. yeah. over your passions, which right. means sometimes allowing them. Yep. To happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, within you know, yeah. depending upon yeah. what it is of within course, reason. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But um, yeah. authority, I think, allows things sometimes to happen mm-hmm. that are that are in yeah, moderation. Right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Not be a yeah. dictator yeah. over your yeah, yeah. your passions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you say you say like what? So what is that truth that we're like? My wife and I are both trying to get to that's outside of ourself. Um, and what is the way that we're going to live that? And what why life does that look like? Yeah. And yeah. and then you have Christ who says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, we should, what are we at? Like an hour now? Um, let's go to the members only episode. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to uh, listen to our weekly bonus episodes, you can go to basicallyrelated.com to sign up. Uh, we'll see you later. Yeah.